At CFB Winning Edge, we are working hard to update our 2021 FBS team profiles with new stats and information, player and coach ratings and rankings, and projected depth charts to reflect transfer news, injuries, NFL draft decisions, and super seniors taking advantage of the extra year of eligibility from the NCAA. In our final push before we make our new 2021 team profiles available to our Tier 2 Patreon supporters, we're offering Tier 2 access to new Tier 1 patrons who sign up for an annual membership in the month of March. Thank you to our Patreon supporters who help fund our show, annual updates, and special projects. Visit patreon.com slash Edge for more info. Welcome back, everybody. It's College Football Winning Edge, the podcast edition. I'm your host, Scott Bogman. Follow me on the Twitter at Bogman Sports. I'm joined, as always, by the owner and proprietor of CFP Winning Edge, Nicholas Ian Allen. Follow him on the Twitter at CFP Winning Edge and Xavier Trish at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E. And today on the show, we got a couple things we're going to be talking about. We're going to be talking to Nick about how he makes his team performance ratings and who bumped up the most from 2019 to 2020. So last season, and then we are continuing our position series, and we're going to talk about linebacker transfers and linebackers moving on to the NFL. So uh, let's just start here, Nick. How was your weekend, man? Uh, pretty good. I mean, we were we were uh, all talking a little bit just before we hit record about the uh, time change and how you don't deal with the the time change. We, I guess, get the the benefit eventually, but this first week is hitting me pretty hard. I've been, uh, <laughs> haven't been getting to bed as, as early as I'd like. And, and so I'm dragging a little bit today, but, uh, yeah, good, good to dive a little bit deeper into one of the main things that we use at, at CFB winning edge. It's, it's one of the biggest, as far as a, a percentage goes or, or a weight as to, uh, our overall, uh, you know, that we use in our projections in our, in our, uh, power rankings, numbers. It's a, it's a pretty big part of the formula. So I uh, figured we'd take a little bit of time and, and talk about it today. And and then, uh, you know, from here on, as we reference it, maybe it'll make a little bit more sense, but also thought, you know, I'm, I'm digging into the, uh, the 2021 FBS team profiles as, you know, the, the intro to the show, been talking about it for forever, but uh, it's getting into the final few weeks of getting all that stuff updated and, and finalized and ready to release to our patrons. And for whatever reason, I hadn't actually just done the quick little uh, equation comparing the 2019 team performance ratings to, to 2020 and figured, hey, you know what, that's that's interesting information. It's, it's uh, good to see who's the the most improved, the you know who took the biggest step back, all that good stuff, and and figure to give us a, a an opportunity to spend a few minutes talking about that, and and uh, you know as we're looking ahead to to twenty twenty one, some of the teams who are towards the top, uh, you know, get a, a, an idea that hey maybe that team is going to be able to continue to improve uh, in twenty twenty one. That team, you know, if they're on the wrong end of of the spectrum. Maybe there's room for improvement. There's a lot of different ways to interpret it, and, and I'm sure we can all uh, think of a few different ones. But yeah, I figured it'd be a good a good topic of conversation, especially since it's such a major factor in a lot of the work that we do as, as far as projecting teams and uh, you know individual games, all that good stuff. Yeah, and this is kind of you know uh, it's a good time to go over it because if there is a lull in college football, which there really isn't, this would be it, right? Xavier, this is kind of uh, where we hit, you know, we've done signing days, uh, spring games aren't quite here yet. So this is kind of like a two week to three week lull before. I think some of those spring games are starting really early, aren't they? Aren't they uh, the firing like up? April 7th. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So two to three weeks of kind of calmness and then right back at it, uh, right back to, you know, unfortunately, uh, players getting hurt, but also players earning their spots on teams and stuff. So we'll have way more actual physical news in a couple of weeks, but it's a good time to go over this stuff, right? 
yeah, don't tell Jackson State it's a two to three week lull. They're playing like it's the Super Bowl every week. Uh, you know, don't tell Primetime. He doesn't know this. Uh, but yeah, I, I, this is this is a great time to go over those kind of things and get us ready for what should be, you know, a refreshing 2021 season. You know, we we had COVID kind of really hinder the, the, this past year. And with things like the vaccine looking like they're going to be more universal with, with the entire country, looking like they're going to have them before the next season starts. And I mean, we've already had other sports like the MLB announced that, you know, they'll be having fans in the stands and things of that nature. So we're, we're looking for the, this, is the first like real season of college football in about a year. Uh, so I, I'm, I know, you know, I'm, I'm chomping at the bit to get to it, but we've got to, we've got to take the next couple of months before we get there. Uh, but yeah, you're right. College football doesn't really slow down, but if we're going to call this the dead period, sure. Let's call that the dead period. Yeah, exactly. So this is kind of the the quote unquote dead period. <laughs> as yeah, uh, Xavier doing his best, Doctor Evil over there. You know, I don't know. He might be too young to remember Doctor Evil, though. I'm not <laughs> sure. So, uh, <laughs> but let let's get into it, Nick. Kind of, um, you know, tell us um, how you put the the team performance ratings together, where they come from, and what do they say about the team. Yeah, so uh, we've had team performance ratings since we started CFB Winning Edge prior to the, the 2018 season. I wanted to give a grade of sorts on the same scale that we do our uh, roster strength numbers, on the same scale we do our team strength, power rankings, our uh, coaching ratings, try to do everything on that same scale where 100 is uh, the maximum rating, the, the best you can be. And the the very bottom is, you know, in the it, it changes a little bit, but uh, think of it as as a 70 is pretty much going to be the worst team in, in FBS college football uh, for the most part. We'll occasionally get some uh, numbers that sneak into the 60s and, and things like that. But you can sort of expect that most of our ratings are going to fall somewhere between 70 and 100 and uh, sort of the the idea was, you know, we've got all of our roster information. We've got all of our talent stuff. We've got a piece that is devoted specifically to coaching, but there's, you know, some things that we can't quite capture in the middle, which a lot of people, of course, spend a lot of time working on is, is how is a team playing on the field? So uh, we, we kind of use those as our, our three, three main factors, our talent, our, our coaching and our team performance or on-field stuff and have it's evolved over uh, you know the last few years but but I finally I think got uh, a really good uh, you know a number that I feel good about by going through and just putting a ton of data from I mean basically the last decade and a half uh, uh, I've got 50 one different numbers uh, that come from a, a variety of sources. They're everything from, you know, just uh, your standard uh, yards per play, you know, that type of thing. It's it's uh, digging deeper and deeper. Some of the ones that we talk about here pretty often, things like uh, expected points added and points per drive and, and, you know, available yards is one that is uh, now thrown in the mix, success rate, all that good stuff. So I've, I've got 51 different columns and they're divided into four different categories. They're either overall numbers, uh, offense, defense, or special teams. And, and that's sort of a, uh, that has definitely evolved. Last year was the first year we split it out into offense, defense, and special teams. And we will uh, continue to break it out even more in 2021. We'll have uh, passing offense, passing defense, rushing offense, rushing defense, and and I'm sure you know it'll continue to to grow from there. But uh, uh, what I wanted to do is is take all those numbers that I think do a a job of capturing at least some aspect of how well a team is playing on the field and see how that stacks up from the most recent season all the way to, in most cases, back to 2005. Some some numbers I haven't been able to get uh, quite that far back. You know, PFF grades are, are part of it. And, uh, you know, uh, SP Plus, I, I throw that in there. Uh, all, all sorts of different things that, that give, you know, some sort of window into how well a team is playing. I, I've kind of taken a, uh, you know, wisdom of crowds type, type uh, you know thought process to it because I personally am not 
that smart. There are a lot of people out there who are much, much smarter than me, have a, a better grasp on all the, you know, individual numbers. I figured I'd try to take, you know, the, the ones I like the most that I thought I did a good job of, of capturing certain things and try to blend a lot of categories together to give just sort of an overall feel on our, uh, our scale. So anyway, very vague on the one hand and, and long-winded on the other, but uh, just think of it as similar to a, a player rating or a coach rating. Somebody in the you know high 90s is playing at a really high level uh, whether it's offense, defense, or, or special teams, somebody in the you know low seventies is probably going to be at the bottom end of of the SBS leaderboard. And then you know I think it does a pretty good job because we uh, do expand it. I've got team performance ratings, you know, going back to the the you know last decade. It it we can show you know what coaches are improving their team from year to year what teams have uh you know really fallen off from where they were you know 4 or 5 years ago things like that and it's a great tool just you know from one year to the next as we'll talk about here in a second who is the most improved uh team in college football and and uh you know getting into it the, the top 10 as far as you know most improved from last year to this year probably won't surprise too many people. Coastal Carolina went from, you know, expected to be a a team finished last in the Sun Belt or or close to it uh, was a, you know, legitimate top 25 team spent time, what, as high as as the top 10, I think. Uh, But they were by far the most improved team in college football and overall team performance. They improved their team performance rating from uh, a 77.05, which was 105th in the country last year, and they improved to 96.55, which was eighth. So they played legitimately like a top 10 team uh, last season and, and made a uh, almost a 20-point jump. The next closest team was Toledo, which improved in a very small sample uh, by a little over 15 points. So they went from 111th overall to 29th. And, and this doesn't necessarily factor in strength of schedule. That is a little bit of a... Uh, an issue. A lot of the numbers that I, you know, throw into that just big ball of of uh, numbers are, you know, opponent adjusted. Are you know, do uh, only take into account, uh, you know, non garbage plays and FBS opponents, things like that. So it, it factors a little bit of schedule strength in, but team performance itself isn't. So maybe it, you know, a team like Toledo playing a pretty weak schedule, MAC only schedule. You know, maybe that's a little bit inflated, but uh, still pretty big improvement. They were a disappointment in 2019 and and played pretty well last season. Number three, Nevada, who my eyes told me uh, that Nevada was just a completely different team in 2020 as compared to 2019. I think I've said before on the show in 2019, Nevada was the lowest rated bowl team, according to our uh, power rankings, their team performance rating in, in uh, 2019 was uh, 112th. So, you know, just not not a great team, but they were able to win enough to get to a bowl game. Well, this year they played like a top 50 team, and, and I feel like that actually might even be a little bit low. I thought Nevada, uh, you know, for most of the season looked like, you know, really one of the top two or three teams in, in the Mountain West, maybe even you know, getting closer to the the top forty, top thirty five than than maybe just barely in the top fifty. But uh, yeah, another couple of teams that you know won't surprise anybody. Northwestern was the fourth most improved. BYU was the fifth most improved. Uh, BYU took a huge, huge jump. I'm a little surprised second. they aren't higher than five, to be honest. So they they finished second in overall team performance last season. And that was somewhat, you know, a little bit of a a soft schedule, but they didn't have as far to overcome as, as some of these other teams. Northwestern was 97th, Nevada, uh, 112th, Toledo, 111th, Coastal Carolina, 105th, BYU is 50th. Uh, So not, not as big of a gap, but they absolutely uh, took a, took a big jump. And, and if we did it, uh, percentage wise, they're uh, a little bit, a little bit higher. They are, they are more, uh, I believe it's third, just as far as improved, uh, from a, a pure percentage standpoint. So, uh, eighth actually. So, so 
maybe maybe actually even not as not quite as much, but big jump there. Uh, and then the bottom half of the of the top ten, West Virginia, UCLA. I uh, was getting a little, you know, top 25 buzz this year. Kent State, another weak schedule, small sample, but, you know, highest scoring offense in the country last season. Uh, Maryland, a little bit of a surprise. I, I thought their offense improved, but uh, overall, you know, one of the top 10 most improved teams in the country. And then Arizona State, number 10. Similar, small sample, some of these teams, about half of them. Uh, not really sure how much stock to put into to this number. But it, I think at least, you know, gives us reason to think, OK, that that team really did improve on the field. And, and you know, a lot of the numbers that uh, seem to, to point, I, I try to be, uh, you know, without, I guess, going too getting too bogged down in all the details, try to make sure even though there are 50 different numbers that they're not just, you know, random. They're not just uh, numbers that that. They're all uh, in know, there we, for a reason, right? Exactly. It's not. It's not total yards. You know, it's not. Yeah. It's not things that can be misleading. It's. It's you know points per drive, efficiency metrics, things like that. So you know, because there is a little bit of of uh, whatever the the right word is, because I'm a little bit selective uh, on what goes in there. I kind of trust when it spits out. Hey, Arizona State was a top ten most improved team. Maybe that Arizona State team, you know, assuming all the the returning production works out well, maybe that's a team to watch in the Pac-12 South next year. Maybe they really are a legitimate contender because their play on the field uh, took a bitty, you know, pretty big step forward. They improved by ten points. They were fifty sixth in team performance overall last year, and uh, in in twenty twenty they were thirteenth. So you know, like with everything in twenty twenty, a little bit you know shy on on saying absolutely. You know, the, this team proved beyond the shadow of a doubt they were one of the most improved teams because they did play such a small sample and there were so many, you know, outside factors. But I think it's still useful to to say, hey, okay, you know, Arizona State took a took a pretty big step forward. Maryland took a, a big step forward. Only 60th, the, the lowest ranked team in overall team performance on this list of, of the top 10. But that's a big improvement from 114th in, in uh, Mike Loxley's first season. So maybe they're able to you know, take another small step forward in 2021. Just something to consider as we, you know, get towards the the tail end of finalizing all those uh, early, early 2021 numbers. You know, we'll we'll analyze these things a little bit deeper. But uh, that top 10, you know, some interesting teams there. Yeah, I mean, definitely some interesting teams. On, on the other side, uh, do you want to mention the teams that kind of fell off? Uh, because you have the bottom feeders here. And this is, uh, I, I feel like this list is almost as interesting as the teams that moved up. Yeah. So from 127, working our way up, the, the teams that fell the farthest in team performance, the, the biggest loser, I guess, was Navy. Uh, they ranked 111th in team performance, had a roughly a 75 rating last season. And they were they were a top twenty team in team performance in 2019 with uh, you know Malcolm Perry leading the charge. The quarterback position was a major major issue. Uh, had some other you know concerns there as well, but uh, just just really really took a big step back, bigger than any other team in the country. The only team you know that that basically came close. The other with a, a, a drop of of more than 15 points. Navy dropped 20 total points, but uh, LSU was one of the best teams of all time in 2019, uh, had almost a, per- a 99.8 team performance rating uh, last year, and they fell to 68th. So we're just a, you know, uh, slightly below average on the FBS level last season. Now, kind of the reverse of, you know, Kent State or even, you know, Nevada or BYU, they played a really, really tough schedule, LSU did. But you know, we all saw that that was not, you know, close to the same team that it was in 2019 because Joe Burrow was gone, you know, a lot of high profile opt outs, the defensive issues, all of that. So probably won't shock anybody that LSU uh, is down toward the very bottom of this list. Baylor took a big step back. We talked about them in uh, our most recent show when we were uh, recapping the the teams in the 70s and our final power rankings. Uh, Minnesota took a, a pretty big step back. Similarly, you know, a, a bit of a small sample size there. They had a lot of stops and starts 
to the season, but they were 11th in team performance in 2019, and they fell to 73rd last year. So pretty big drop there. I was I was a bit surprised at Louisiana Tech, actually. Uh, they were a team that our projections, it seemed like week in and week out, when we were going through, uh, you know, what side are we on? Do our projection models agree on, you know, which what side of this game? We pretty much seemed like the first uh, seven or eight weeks, we were on Louisiana Tech just about every week. And, you know, it, it worked out for us some and it didn't on other occasions. But, uh, you know, that they fell from a top 40 team in team performance in 2019 to 109th last year. They had some opt-outs, especially late in the year. They had some injuries as well. Uh, but that was a little bit of a surprise just because I, I it was kind of fresh in my mind still that, you know, our numbers just really loved Louisiana Tech each each week, at least loved them compared to, you know, what the odds makers thought, uh, you know, with them against their opponents. But, you know, the the very far ends of the spectrum, certainly, certainly some interesting names, some uh, teams that just missed on this, this far end side. Uh, Michigan fell from 16th last year to 66th. And then they place. gave Harbaugh a contract extension, Xavier, <laughs> our favorite guy in the world. And, uh, you know, Florida State is is not much better. Tennessee, not much better. Utah, big, you know, fell off. They were still a top 40 team, but uh, they were a top 10 team in, in 2019. So, it, it you know, I'll release this full list to our patrons, and it'll be in our uh, 2021 uh, FBS team profiles when, when we release those in April. But I'll do a, a, a separate uh, little post for it uh, today or tomorrow to, to give our patrons full access to this. You, so you can see team by team how much they improve from one year to the, the next, who are the biggest uh, you know, teams that improve the most and, and who are on the, the far end. But overall, uh, in, in team performance, some interesting names at, at the top and bottom. I mean, Xavier, you know, like, like I said, I feel like the uh, teams at the bottom are almost as interesting as the teams at the top. But I mean, Coastal Carolina being one is a shock to no one like that is yeah. uh, they were so good last year and such an improvement. Is there anyone that kind of caught you off guard on this list up or down? I, I, I was trying to count to see how far they were. But yeah, absolutely. There's one that's <clears throat> and it's just because they're so weird as to why they, they they're they're up here. But Ole Miss, uh, you know, Ole Miss moved up this year. Uh, they improved, but did they? Which is so weird to me right, because right, when you right. look at football, you know, it, it's it's both sides of the ball. But they were so good offensively this year that it made up for such a terrible defense. They ranked, uh, they had a 95, 95 overall rated offense this year. That finished 12th in the FBS. And they had a 74 rated defense that finished 110th. <laughs> and they're in the top 25 the uh, Pac-12 you know, team playing in the middle of the SEC. Yeah. And, and so I, I guess it's just, this was like the biggest like gap for me, them in Western Michigan who finished 93rd defensively and sixth offensively, you know, the, the, these kind of teams that have such a huge gap between one side of the ball and the other one uh, just are, are a big surprise uh, for me. I also think that this list kind of to an extent hurts good teams. Uh, you know, I feel like when you're a good team, you can't really move up or down. You know, we, we didn't mention any of the, the normal powers, the Georgia, the Alabamas, anybody have like a lot that. of wiggle room, though, those consistently right. good teams or consistently bad teams. You know? Yeah, exactly. And so I think that when we, when we look at these numbers, we take them, we, we should really look at them. And I think what was really telling from when I was looking at the teams is the quarterbacks who took that step. Their offensive production went really through the roof this year. We just talked yeah. about Ole Miss, Texas A and M was another one that finished eighty, that finished thirty second in the FBS last year in offense. Kellen Mond comes back; he takes a step at, uh, step up as a QB. They finished ninth this year in the FBS as far as their offense is concerned. So I think when you have, it's a very telling thing when a quarterback comes back or makes that next step. I mean, you're looking Sam Howell, freshman and sophomore year. North Carolina went from 29th in the FBS to 16th in the FBS offensively. So I think that that's, you know, a, a really good indication from these numbers of the quarterbacks who were able to come back and take that next step offensively. And uh, just, you know, how good 
some of these offenses were. And so, and maybe they took care of the ball more. Brock Purdy doesn't have impressive stats, but Iowa State went from ranked 27th in 2019 to 14th in 2020. So I, those are the numbers that I really like to look at um, when we're talking about, you know, when we look at these numbers is who offensively could take that next step going into 2021 that takes maybe their team from a 30th or a, a 40th ranked offense into the top 25, into the top 10, like what we saw at Texas A&M. Yeah, and then uh, when we're just breaking this down on both sides of the ball here, Nick, you know, on offense, it's Nevada, Coastal Carolina, Buffalo, of course, uh, Ole Miss, who Xavier just mentioned, NC State, Arizona State, Maryland, Miami, Virginia Tech, and BYU all rounding out the top 10. Uh, these are the I, – I, I feel like these, you know, versus the defense and, and the defensive teams that uh, moved up the most from 19 to 20, I'll give you those top 10 real quick. Toledo, San Jose State, Army, Georgia State. Coastal Carolina, of course, West Virginia, Troy, Colorado, BYU, and Houston. You know, a couple of these teams on uh, both sides of this list. Of course, Coastal Carolina, BYU uh, on both sides of this list. And, you know, they were on the overall as well. But it feels like, you know, uh, the offense is just easier to identify because not only are these the teams that, uh, you know, for us that are CFF guys, you know, we're grabbing players off of these teams. But also, these are the teams that are highlighted on Sports Center and you know college football shows all around the country. The defenses uh, make the improvement for sure, and, and you know Toledo. But Toledo playing in the MAC, they're not getting a lot of attention. So, uh, what uh, I, I guess just kind of break us down the offense and the defense, and what was the most impressive uh, improvement for you on either side of the ball? Yeah, I, I think uh, kind of building off what what Xavier said, where you know overall it's difficult to see for for you know the the consistent teams. Obviously, it's it's difficult to see big changes, and and that's certainly understandable. Uh, I just pulled up our our twenty twenty one team profile, sort of the the beta version. Uh, I was uh, I'm, I'm adding a, a new piece where you can see team performance, how it changes year to year. And, and Alabama's, you know, the first team uh, listed and, you know, they're very consistent. Last year, they were number one in team performance. In 2019, they were number three, 2018, number one, 27, number one, 2016, number two, 2015, number one, 2014, <laughs> number one. So, you know, it's, it's, you're not going to see uh, a, a big difference with Alabama overall, but, you know, thinking offensively, and, and we know that there's been a shift in sort of offensive philosophy at Alabama, you can see it a little bit better because uh, moving, you know, sort of the, the other way. In 2014, they were sixth on offense and offensive team performance. 2015 and 2016, they were 17th both years. So, you know, solid, definitely good, but uh, just a, you know, top 20 level offense, nothing super, super special. 2017, they move up to eighth. 2018 number two, 2019 number two, basically, you know, the coming into this year, uh, the second best offense of all time behind 2019 LSU. And then 2020, they were number one in offensive team performance and, and have a strong uh, argument for that number one offense of all time. So it is a little bit easier to see changes on one side of the ball or the other, I think. And, and so uh, that, you know, to, to Xavier's point is, is, uh, maybe we can learn a little bit more breaking it out on, you know, which side of the ball. He picked a great one, Ole Miss, you know, fourth most improved offense in, in college football. They still ranked 110th in defensive team performance, but because their offense jumped so much from, uh, you know, 70th in 2019 to one of the elite offenses last year, you know, they they were able to really bring up that overall team performance rating uh, to a, you know, a respectable level and, and to a point where, you know, I'm getting a little excited about Ole Miss when I'm looking at the SEC West uh, projections at, at this point in the offseason. You know, the, a lot of the teams that we're used to seeing challenge Alabama uh, for that, you know, that spot. If, if we're going to think who's the, you know, the most likely runner up to Alabama, uh, normally it's LSU or Auburn last year, Texas A&M. Well, I think Ole Miss based on 
you know, the improvement that we've seen, especially on the offensive side of the ball. And yeah, they've got some holes to fill. You know, Elijah Moore was uh, a, a special, special receiver there. They've got certainly some improvement to make defensively before they can make a, a big push. But, you know, things are moving in the right direction in year one under under Lane Kiffin. So I think that's, uh, you know, certainly something to, to keep an eye on. Miami, a top 10 offense. A lot of last offseason we're thinking, okay, Miami's been such a disappointment offensively year after year after year. Uh, they're not going to challenge in the ACC until they get that side of the football, you know, figured out. Well, they improved uh, more than all but seven teams offensively last year. So that's a, a step in the right direction. On the you know defensive side, you mentioned Toledo, uh, San Jose State number two. You know, well, they went out and won the Mountain West, and and their defense, their improvement uh, defensively was was a big big reason for that. They improved from you know the, what what were they uh, forty or excuse me they were forty second on offense last year, one hundred third on defense. Well, they maintained on offense, kept a, a top forty uh, offense, but the the defensive improvement was absolutely huge and and they were you know 21st in defensive team uh defensive uh team performance improvement. So we've talked about Georgia State a little bit and we'll talk about one of their uh big time transfers here when we when we get to the linebackers but you know a reason that I think that they're going to push to to finish in the top half of the Sun Belt and if everything clicks uh you know maybe even make a run at their side of the division in, in 2021 was a lot of the defensive improvement that they made last year. Top five improved defense. West Virginia uh, is a team that a lot of people think could find their way into a, a top 25 type season this year. A big part of that was the improvement that they made defensively. So uh, yeah, just a, an interesting collection of you know Colorado top 10 improvement on defense. And they ended up being one of the uh, sort of surprise stories of of the season. So uh, I, I think that that Xavier's right that that you know it's difficult to see major shifts with teams that are consistent. And I guess that makes sense if, if we think about it. But you know you can uh, when you drill down a little bit deeper uh, and look at the the change in in year to year, looking at one side of the ball or the other, it becomes a little more clear where teams are making improvement. And then you know adding to this once we break it down into to passing offense, passing defense, and those things here uh, over the, the next few weeks. And, and you know, when, once we release those uh, as part of our, our team profiles updates, you know, I think that that'll be even more clear that, hey, maybe, you know, San Jose State, yeah, made a big, big improvement overall defensively, but maybe it was uh, concentrated on on one specific, you know, unit or, or one specific uh you know, type of, of uh, defensive improvement, whether it was against the pass or against the run. And, and so I think these numbers, you know, without it, – it does have a lot of detail on the, the you know, the back end. But I, what I wanted to do was pres- present one just overall number that you can look at it and see because it's very similar in scale to everything else we use to, to just sort of say, oh, okay, that's a good defense. It's a 95-plus you know, I tried to make it sim- make a, a complicated idea, try to present it in a simple way. And I don't always explain it that well, but hopefully <laughs> uh, our patrons, you know, when they're when they're digging through and seeing all these numbers, uh, hopefully that that team performance rating, when you see it and, and see how much it changes from one year to the next, you know, hopefully it's it's fairly simple to read and say like, Oh wow, that's, you know, that's a big improvement. And, and yeah, you know, when you boil it down to one number, I, I think you, you get, you get your point across. So it's certainly not perfect, but I think it <laughs> does, uh, you know, I, I, I know that there will, there are certainly arguments to be made that, that it should be a little more, uh, I should be a little more specific in how I'm doing it or whatever, but <laughs> the, uh, yeah, it's it's not perfect, but I think it gives a good snapshot. We'll yeah, see. yeah. I mean, nothing's ever perfect, and, and you know, you've been adjusting it on the fly as we go too. So, but it is very good, as indicated yes. by your records. So, um, you, your records do show that it's really, really good. So, Xavier, your thoughts on these teams improving on offense and defense? Yeah, and and I, and I'll kind of end with this. I think this is a really good point, uh, but I think when you look at some of these teams, I think it's a great indicator of where maybe a university is going. You know, when we talk, you know, when we have our Wednesday uh, podcast and we talk about the teams, you know, I think this week we're talking about 70 to 60, 
one. So, yeah. I, you know, I, you know, I think that when we when you look at teams and we try to project where they're going, I think this is even a really good projection of maybe where university is headed. You know, there's some teams down here that improved in 2020. You know, South Alabama was one of them. They finished, you know, they uh, had a 73 overall team rating after the 2019 season, had a 76 overall team rating this year, you know, finished went from 119 on offense to 105 and really improved defensively defensively going from 123 to 94. Now that doesn't sound great. You know, you're still in the nineties defensively in, in, uh, in, in the FBS, but going from 123, which is, you know, what, seven spots from the last FBS-rated defense to 94 is a huge improvement. And so I think that that's what we also can look like look at with these, with these snapshot numbers is, you know, some of these teams took huge leaps, even if that doesn't mean they're in the top 25 or even in the top 40. Some of these teams took massive leaps. You know, UTEP went from 126 offensively to 118 and 109 defensively to 104. That's still a leap, and that's still going forward. And so I think that even with some of these smaller teams that didn't maybe make, you know, Coastal Carolina-like leaps, um, you know, or they, they didn't have as bad of years as a Baylor or an LSU, can still look at some of these numbers and, and you know, look towards the future, you know, also partnering that with our returning production numbers. I think those two numbers together could really put a really good snapshot on what a team may look like in 2021 or even possibly uh, 2022 that, you know, being able to use, you know, these numbers and compare them is really nice as well. So that is what, you know, that's as I continue to scroll down some of the teams, that's also something I continue to see where some of these lower team, these lesser teams still having incrementally better seasons, you know, a Rutgers, you know, not just with the eye test, we always say Rutgers looked better this year, but the numbers prove it too. They went from 122 offensively to 102 and uh, 127 defensively to 120. So I think that that's even even better snapshot for some of these teams that didn't have huge gains, but still were able to grow incrementally to see how a university is trending either upwards or downwards. All right. Well, I, I think with that, is there anything more we need to go over here, Nick? Or are we ready to talk about some linebackers moving? Yeah, I mean, last thing. I mean, it's it's, and I mentioned it. Uh, I think it's probably intuitive for for anybody who's going to you know be looking at these numbers. They're not. Uh, again, they're. I know they're not perfect. They're not intended to 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 show you know beyond the the uh, you know beyond any doubt that that these are. Uh, the best teams in college football or the most improved or, or what have you. But uh, I like what Xavier said, how, you know, it can give a little bit of insight to, you know, some incremental improvements when, and, and then also bringing in your own understanding of a team and, and knowing that, hey, Rutgers in 2019 was obviously very bad, but still played, you know, some weak non-conference opponents. And in 2020, we know that, hey, they played a Big Ten only schedule with a first year head coach. So, you know, yeah, they improved into the, you know, almost in, into the top 100 on, on offense, but sort of understanding where they came from and knowing that they, uh, you know, had a, a, a situation with a first year head coach where usually you don't have a ton of improvement, but also with a more difficult schedule, you know, so maybe that 20 uh, place jump might even be a little bit more impressive than it just looks as far as our numbers here. And, you know, similarly, as we mentioned at the front with some of these teams uh, toward the very top, especially, you know, small sample is something to consider weak schedule is something to consider. So it, it I think gives, uh, I think, he, you know, Xavier put it well, it gives a little bit of, of insight can, can sort of show how a team is trending but then also having an understanding of where that team has come from and, and then sort of what uh, path they had to take in 2020, whether it was a you know small amount of games or a, a weak schedule or a strong schedule uh, is, is uh, also important to, to keep in mind as well. All right. Well, let's talk about some linebackers. And there are a lot, a lot of linebackers here. This list is uh, pretty enormous. I mean, I know that the lists are getting bigger because we're getting, you know, uh, more players going into the transfer portal and stuff, but this linebackers list is huge. And, um, you know, obviously not as big as the line, the offensive lineman list, but that's five players, uh, you know, five stars for every team. So, uh, I was just kind of surprised. I went, Whoa, when I saw this, this list and, uh, there's some big names moving, but, um, I, I don't know, Nick, do you get the sense that, um, more of these guys, it, it seems like more of these guys are moving to 
better teams than necessarily playing time. I know playing time obviously is the biggest factor when guys move in the transfer portal, but some of these seem uh, a little different than the other positions. Like Henry Toyoto, is, he hasn't even picked a team to go to yet, and he might be the best linebacker on this list. Yeah, it's it's uh, similar to basically each conversation we've had since offensive line. I think we're learning a little bit more with the list of players who are entering the NFL draft than transfers. And there's certainly a lot of movement and and, uh, and some big names. I mean, Teoto is, I agree, arguably the, the best, uh, maybe the best overall player in the transfer portal. Uh, but you know, it sounds like he's going to Alabama, uh, that that's been a little bit of the buzz for, for the last couple of weeks. And, and, uh, it's not official yet. You know, there's maybe a chance he'll end up back at Tennessee if he uh, likes what he's heard from the, the new coaching staff, but all, all signs are pointing to him. Uh, last I've heard and, and seen that, uh, he's more likely than not, not going to be at Tennessee and, and more likely than not. Uh, probably going to be at Alabama, but some guys who do have, uh, you know, some some firm landing spots. There, there are only maybe half a dozen, a little bit more that really jumped out to me as okay, that guy is going to be an immediate impact player. And I highlighted Jermaine Johnson, who was a starter at Georgia, who is going to Florida State, where he is most likely going to uh, be inserted into the the starting lineup right away. Mike Jones went from you know being a starter at Clemson to LSU. That you and know, those has are two teams. Need. I didn't mean to cut you off there, but those are two teams that we just talked about that are on the you know uh, you know teams that uh, went down the most as far as these uh, team performance ratings go uh, in uh, FSU and LSU. So it makes sense that they're bringing guys in. Yeah, absolutely, and and guys who can come in and make an impact, and and guys who've played. A lot of football before, and and so I think those guys will have an impact. We just talked about Ole Miss, you know, being a team that it is on the rise, and their offense being the most impressive. But they brought in one of the better, uh, most productive, at least linebackers in the transfer portal, and Chance Campbell from Maryland. So a team that you know Maryland, we talked about being one of the most improved teams. Well, they they lost a couple of you know, a couple of linebackers. That was a position hit uh, pretty hard by guys leaving and, and entering the transfer portal, something to consider. But, you know, Trans uh, Campbell going to Ole Miss, you expect he's going to be a starter there. Uh, that linebacker core at Ole Miss looks pretty good on paper, looks deep, and, and he'll only add to that. So, you know, that, that might be something to uh, help get them over the hump, get to a uh, level of, of respectability there on defense. Missouri uh, took a, a, you know, they were the, the team on the very far end as far as defensive, uh, you know, took it, took a, a big fall. They, they were the, the team that their team performance rating on defense went the farthest in the country in the wrong direction. And they, well, they lost the best in, defensive player to the draft too. And absolutely. Bolton. Nick Bolton, they filled that spot pretty well, I think with Blaze Aldridge, who not a, you know, not a, a, household name by any means, but has been incredibly, incredibly productive at Rice uh, the last couple of years. He's a 100 max rated player. So uh, as far as our ratings go, uh, that's a a perfect uh, fill-in because, you know, Nick Bolton was a 100 rated player, highly, highly productive. And uh, Blaze Aldridge has, has played up to, uh, you know, not a not a highly rated recruit. So if we didn't throw in the production that he's had the last couple of years, he'd still be a you know eighty something like that uh, type player. Uh, but he's a 100, 100 player, so we don't see a big drop off there, at least at that one spot. Obviously, some other uh, issues for Missouri. The secondary is going to be a little bit of a concern, but uh, you know he'll he'll have an impact there. Jordan Strachan had a huge huge year at Georgia State. Probably should have talked about him more in depth last week. Uh, as being part of a, uh, that edge rushing class, but uh, he's categorized as a, as a linebacker last year in our uh, team profiles and had a huge, huge year. He's going to be somebody that South Carolina is going to, I think, rely on pretty heavily as they're trying to rebuild under Shane Beamer. Uh, Treshawn Hayward, another probably not you know uh, household name, Highly, highly productive linebacker at Western Michigan. It's going to Arizona, which you know they weren't necessarily on the uh, the bad end of of the list as far as the conversation we had earlier. Because similar to you know maybe the the 
talked a little bit about how Alabama was consistent. Well, Arizona has not necessarily been, uh, you know, the worst team in the country, but they certainly have been uh, on the bottom half of the Pac-12. So didn't have as far to fall maybe as some of the other teams, but big, big need for them and, and to get uh, Treshawn Hayward to, to fill that spot because prior to the 2019 season, they lost, you know, two big time linebackers, one of which is, uh, you know, on, uh, among those who left for the NFL draft in, in uh, uh, Fields, who, who went out to, uh, to West Virginia. Uh, Tony Fields, the second, went to West Virginia and, and has gone now to the NFL draft. But to get a guy like Treshawn Hayward, who, again, 100 rated player, he's just played a lot of football and you know, racked up a lot of stats that at Western Michigan, he's going to be somebody who can play. Uh, and then Fields moving on, and they also lost Dylan Tonkery. Uh, and West Virginia went out and brought Lance Dixon in recently, just last week from Penn State. So somebody kind of on the other end of the spectrum, not as productive, hasn't built up his uh, you know VGR plus player rating through. Uh, you know, his production on the field, but he's somebody who was uh, really highly regarded as a high school recruit and moving on and, and perhaps an opportunity to become a starter in a, a defense that was, you know, really one of the more improved units in the country and a team that has some pretty high expectations, uh, pretty high ceiling, I think, in, in 2020. So not a ton, uh, I think, on the the even though there are a lot of names here, not a ton of super high-end guys, but I think that those six or seven uh, definitely are, are going to be guys that that make a big impact, immediate starters, and you know, hopefully some of them moving up in, in competition from a G5 school to a Power 5 school have an opportunity to take their game to the next level and, and maybe put them, uh, themselves in, in position to uh, get their professional you know, prospects uh take those up a, uh, a notch as well. Uh, Xavier, you, you uh, in the private chat here, you said 247 is, uh, is thinking that uh, Henry Toyota is going to head to Alabama, and that's their crystal ball prediction. That's like when uh, you know your friend that has a bunch of money finds money on the ground in front of you when you're broke. Like that, that's what that feels like to me. That's that's awful. But uh, your thoughts on uh, these linebacker transfers for 2021? Yeah, when I looked it up, and it said pretty much a hundred percent is their crystal ball projection. I just I just shook my head in in pain because the, the the rich get richer as they say. Uh, but I I agree with Nick. This is a very top heavy transfer class. Um, however, I I will bring a name. Uh, and I, I don't know if Nick mentioned this one. I'm pretty sure he didn't. But Robert Burns is a re- Robert Barnes, excuse me, is a really interesting prospect going from Oklahoma to Colorado. Uh, this is a kid who was kind of on his way. He was ascending to being a, a, a everyday starter. In 2018, he recorded 54 tackles, um, 31 solo, had a fo- had a forced fumble, and had an interception that year. And But he also got hurt in the Orange Bowl that year. Uh, and after that, he kind of just couldn't find his fitting back in that Oklahoma defense. Uh, the next two seasons, only recorded 11, t- uh, 11 tackles total. Uh, and he just could never really find his footing back. Uh, but, you, but you really think that if he could, you know, get his footing back at a team like Colorado where he's going to have an opportunity to play right away. He has an opportunity to really make, uh, make a splash at Colorado. You know, this is a kid, obviously, you know, him and I was also really highly, you know, really high on Jack Lamb. These are two guys who have played for some of the best universities in the country over the last couple of years. And with them transferring to a, you know, a lesser school in Colorado, these are two guys that are probably be battling for position. Uh, if not, both of them come right in and start. Uh, but these are two highly touted guys coming out of high school. Uh, and Robert Barnes, a guy who has played at the highest level, being at Oklahoma, playing in the college football playoff as well, who will, you know, you think would see added time that could really add to a Colorado team, as we talked about uh, last week, if I'm not mistaken a team that really needs that kind of help defensively. And so those two guys really, because of how, you know, of the schools that they're coming from, you know, Robert Barnes coming from Oklahoma, Jack Lamb coming from Notre Dame, you expect guys coming from that high of a school. If they go to a school like Colorado to be immediate impact guys. um, And that's probably what Colorado was hoping for too. So even though that they're not one of the bigger names and their numbers might not also indicate that the, the the level that they've been at, you're almost expecting them as, as they come down to play at a, at a high level at the very least, especially since both of them have been uh, contributors at the school that they left. Um, I don't know if you did mention Deandre Johnson, Nick, uh, but his transfer 
to Miami, I think it is really big for a team that once again is losing a lot of talent in Miami. You know, the, the, over the last two years at Miami, they have lost pretty much. It seems like they've lost all of the defensive talent that they've had. You know, this year we, we talk about them losing Gregory Rousseau and, and company. Like they continue to just lose talent and, and bring in a guy like DeAndre Johnson, who Tennessee fans loved and hated when he decided to transfer. He was what part of that mass exodus uh, from Tennessee, just like what uh, Henry was. He could be an instant impact at, at Miami right away. And, and I think that he has an opportunity to do that. This was a highly touted kid out of high school and, and a guy who kind of – and unlike like a guy like him, uh, Robert Barnes, didn't really fall victim to maybe staying too long and overstaying his welcome at the university. He got out right when he was supposed to. Now he can go to Miami where I think he'll be a day one starter and possibly be a high impact guy for them as well. Yeah. I, uh, as far as Johnson goes, I, I couldn't remember. My mind's a little bit mushy right now. <laughs> damn <laughs> as, as damn my, daylight savings. Come on. Daylight savings and, and uh, team profile updates. Uh, I'll admit I'm a little I'm a little groggy today, so, but mm -hmm. I, I couldn't remember when I was putting the, the list together if we talked about him as, as part of that edge group last week. But yeah, absolutely. I think that he's one, you know, Tennessee has got three, uh, their top three linebackers uh, on our, our team profiles, depth charts from last year are in the transfer portal or, or left via the transfer portal, Johnson being one of those. And he seems like the natural uh, you know, next man up to what's been a really productive pipeline at, at Miami. You mentioned Rousseau in 2019. Last year, uh, you know, both uh, Quincy Roche and uh, mm -hmm. uh, Jalen Phillips were, were guys that, you know, uh, came to Miami via the transfer portal, played themselves, played their way into uh, likely, you know, getting drafted. Phillips, I know, has been a, a huge, huge riser in, in some of the uh, draft things that I've, I've, uh, briefly taken a, a look at. So yeah, Johnson fits that mold is somebody that, you know, I, I know that uh, I've got a feeling our numbers are going to be pretty high on Miami. I think that they are going to open as a top 10 team in our power rankings and probably the number two team in, in the ACC. And Johnson's part of that. I mean, he's somebody that's going to be able to, to step in and help strengthen, you know, or, or excuse me, help soften the blow uh, of losing two again, hundred rated players uh, off the edge in in, in Roche and, and Phillips. So uh, absolutely, I think that, that that's a big one. I just couldn't remember if we talked about him last week or not. Uh, we did not, but and that I think, <laughs> and this is a guy who has not decided on where he's going to school yet. But I think you know we're, we're talking about the Tennessee mass exodus, and you mentioned the three linebackers. We've already mentioned Henry. Uh, I'm not going to try to try the last name. Scott. Toto, to to I think. Henry. Uh, you know, uh, <laughs> Henry, Henry T. Hank. Uh, DeAndre Johnson. But I think we need to talk about uh, Quavaris Crouch. This is a kid who was uber productive at Tennessee in just two years. Um, he took a leap this year, had 57 total ta tackles, had a double-digit uh, tackle game in the last game of the season against Texas A&M with 11 total tackles as well. Throw in there two forced fumbles on top of that. And this is a guy that you expect going into his junior year is ready to take that to take that leap. Maybe he's a 70-plus tackle guy going into next year, and he has yet to commit. Uh, now, I don't know where 247 sits thinks he's going to go at this point, uh, but he is a Charlotte, North Carolina kid. So maybe he goes back home. Um, they don't even have a projection on him. He was a 97 rated player coming out of high school, uh, which was a high, 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 high four star. Um, and so maybe he ends up going back to Tennessee. Uh, maybe he ends up going to North Carolina. We're going to talk about in a second how they need linebackers after losing probably the best linebackers that they've had in a quite in quite a while in uh, Chad Surratt. So you know, this is another guy, once again, that we talked about, you know, the Tennessee exodus at the linebacker position who was really productive for them, was probably looking to be the starter next to Henry T and DeAndre Johnson going into next season. And he's leaving as well. So I think, you know, if you get a Tennessee guy right now, you're getting a pretty good linebacker. All right. Let's talk about the guys that are going into the NFL draft. And this class is um, there's some depth to it. But at, at the upper end, I've only seen three linebackers projected mm -hmm. to go in the first round. Two of them are in every first round. Micah Parsons is usually a top 10 pick mm -hmm. out of Penn State. And then um, Jeremiah Wusso-Karamoa is in almost every mock, uh, somewhere between 15 and 25 uh, for what I've seen 
for the most part out of Notre Dame. The only other guy that I've seen slide into the first round in some, well, there's two other guys, excuse me. Uh, Zavin Collins, I've seen yeah. sometimes uh, jump into the first round, kind of on the back end. I've seen him mock to Pittsburgh a bunch of times because they just lost Bud Dupree. And then um, the other guy is Nick Bolton, a little bit undersized, but there are plenty of teams that need that. Uh, you know, rangy middle linebacker in the middle of their defense. So um, the other guys, you know, I know, Nick, you highlighted um, the Dane Brugler's uh, guys in the, the top 100, and there's 12 of them here. Monty Rice from Georgia, uh, Jamin Davis from Kentucky, Jabril Cox from LSU, uh, both the Ohio State kids, Pete Warner and Baron Browning. And I know uh, the Draft Network is huge on Baron Browning. Uh, Chad Surratt, the, uh, you know, converted quarterback, at North Carolina, who uh, moved to linebacker, and then Isaiah McDuffie uh, from Boston College. So a lot of a uh, lot of big time players being lost um, here. I mean, even like a guy like Hamilcar Rashad for Oregon State, you know, not ranked in the top 100 on a lot of lists, but he is a huge loss for Oregon State. Who do you think is the most impactful loss here, Nick? I mean, we probably can't say Micah Parsons because he opted out and didn't play last year. Yeah, as far as the you know the best player, uh, we we talked a lot in the preseason before we didn't you know before we knew that the the Big Ten was going to have a delayed start. That I thought that Micah Parsons might have a you know Chase Young type impact on the 2020 season. Just seemed to be far away you know far and away uh, the the best linebacker in the country and and you know arguably the best defensive player in the country coming into last year. So uh, yeah, I, I guess. On, on the bright side of things, Penn State uh, has some experience without Micah Parsons, but obviously it was a big loss uh, for them entering last season. I think singularly, it's hard to say anybody's a, a bigger loss than Zayvon Collins. I mean, he became an All-American, uh, pretty much put that Tulsa defense on his back and, and uh, was one of the best players in, in all of college football last year. But, you know, Jamin Davis is is a big loss, but not only do they lose him, Kentucky, they also lose Boogie Watson. Uh, there are, I think, some other teams that, you know, maybe only one guy or, or maybe, you know, maybe none of their players are, are among the top 12 linebackers or, or might even, you know, not get drafted. But uh, there are teams that are suffering multiple losses that I think in in you know, on aggregate are going to have a big, big impact. You mentioned Browning. Pete Warner is also a top 12 linebacker uh, out of Ohio State, but they lost Tuff Borland and Justin Hilliard as well. So all four starting linebackers there at Ohio State, and they also lost, uh, you know, two or three defensive linemen. So they're going to be rebuilding that front seven at Ohio State. And it basically Hard to feel bad for Ohio State, though, you know. In they a way, just, but They again, replace five stars with five stars most of the time, you know. That's true. That's true. But, you know, uh, this being such a weird year where so many teams are bringing back so much experience. That's very true. Is it going to offset a little bit a team that that is I feel like I feel worse for Northwestern, still. you know, losing that's a, Fisher yeah. and Gallagher in the middle, right? That's tough. That's a that's a great point. Northwestern losing two guys, West Virginia losing two guys, Oklahoma State was an improved defense. They're losing two guys at linebacker. Uh, you know, uh, in addition to Kentucky, Texas A and M, Kansas State's losing two, Alabama. You know, obviously Alabama is going to be fine, and and especially if Henry <laughs> Toto is there. But uh, still, you know, they are they're among those teams. Virginia being one with with two guys on this list just at the linebacker position. So there are some teams that. You know, I I was trying to think of how to word this, and that's not something I'm I'm doing a great job at today, or usually, I guess. But <laughs> I, I feel like linebacker. Uh, you know, there's there's been a lot of discussion recently about the running back position, right? Running backs are are not drafted nearly as high as they were decades ago, and and it's uh, what you get one run running back in the first round each year, something like that these days. I wonder if linebacker is kind of moving in that direction and, and people out there probably pay a whole lot more attention to the NFL draft and, and the NFL as a whole than I do. So maybe this is just completely obvious, but linebacker somewhat similarly, you can be a great, great player, but there are so many of them kind of, kind of similar to, to running backs where the value maybe is just not, you know, unless you are a Mar Micah Parsons, just sort of a, a one step above the rest, you know, linebacker is, is a position where 
you know, a guy like Errol Thompson, Mississippi State, that's a that's a big, big loss. He's a guy who's been incredibly, incredibly productive, played a ton of football. Uh, but, you know, he's, he's not necessarily a, a top 15 at his position type guy, maybe, a you know, day three pick, but probably talented enough to play, you know, five, six, seven, maybe even longer in the league. It's just that linebacker, you know, there are so many good players and only so few spots. I don't know. But uh, it, it's it's a, a position that I think there certainly are some teams that are going to, you know, have some big holes. And just in raw numbers, Ohio State with four of those guys, but multiple teams with with two. On the one hand, yeah, a lot of talent leaving. But on the other hand, maybe linebacker is a position where, you know, we, we shouldn't overthink it or, or over, you know, to your point about Ohio State's going to be fine. You know, maybe for the most part, these teams are, are going to be able to fill linebacker just as a position a little bit easier than than some of the other positions that we've talked about so far. Yeah, your thoughts on uh, this class of linebackers, Javier, and, and who do you think lost the most going to the NFL? Yeah, I mean, when, when we talk about who's lost the most, it's got to be the guys who, without a shortened season, probably would have been 100 tackle, uh, you know, a season guys. We, I mean, we talk about, you know, uh, a Max Richardson at Boston College, uh, a Rayshard Ashby at uh, at Virginia Tech. You know, the, these guys are we, – we had them at a 100-plus tackles coming into the year. Some of these guys were going to compete for, you know, all ACC honors. I am the guys I just named a uh, uh, Zane uh, Zandier or Zandier at, at Virginia. Like these, these are were guys who – made every play they were all if you watch their tape they tackle everything maybe even their own players sometimes like they they <laughs> were the backbones of some of these defenses that really you know without them they're going to be looking not only for the numbers to be you know when a guy in max richardson for instance i think had 147 tackles maybe 100 and something like that his in, in 2019 replacing that kind of production you got to do with like two or three players like that, that kind of a production doesn't just walk into your school every single, you know, every uh, recruiting class. And when you lose that, it's going to be really tough for you to replace that. Um, to your point, Nick, when we were talking about how people are drafted now and the, sorry, the, as far as the linebacker position is drafted in 2020, the linebacker position was actually the most drafted position. It's just what you see now is the pertinence for linebackers if they only play linebacker is at an all-time low you know you, you look at yeah, the only two linebackers are playing at a time now right I mean, yeah base, and, and nickel is based now i guess that's right part of it. and so unless you're a freak like isaiah simmons who played linebacker safety and could also put his hand in the dirt or like a uh you know a patrick queen who could play linebacker but also could probably guard over some team's best tight end you're really looking at you know a lot of guys falling to that third fourth fifth round where you just find you know linebackers just going for fun at that point so that, that's really what we've seen from the nfl as far as linebackers is concerned um so if you're not one of the you know and that's what you see with the class that's you know with the guys who are leaving right now there's not a lot of freak athletes a lot of hugely productive guys in college uh but really the only like guy who I think could play multiple positions in the NFL right away is either Jabril Cox or Chaz Surratt. That those are probably the only two, at least that are, you know, that I'm in Micah Parsons off the top of my head who could play linebacker or bump to safety or not have to be taken off the field on a third and 11 because, you know, he's too slow to guard the best tight end on the, or the tight end on the field. So that's what we see in this class a lot. Even with a guy who I think was a consistent all American coming into this year and Dylan Moses, he's even a guy that, you know, you know, five years ago, he'd probably be drafted in the top 15. Now he's, you know, early second rounder, late, late, uh, early, you know, late second round kind of guy. And so when we look at this, we're looking at a lot of guys who were hugely productive for their universities numbers wise, but I don't know if it's going to be such a huge loss for some, some of these universities, like Monty Rice leaving Georgia. I don't think a lot of Georgia fans are sitting there screaming, at Monty Rice leaving, hugely productive guy, but not a freak athlete. So you're not losing, you know, a guy who and Georgia also got uh, two. You know, there were only looking at the two four seven recruiting class for 2021. There are four five star linebackers, and Georgia got two of them. So uh, I mean, <laughs> Fair. Uh, no, Fair. no crying from Georgia at all. So <laughs> we'll have we'll have plenty of Georgia discussions next week when we get to 
defensive backs. That's that's the area of concern. Don't make don't make me cry. Anyways, uh, we're good. We're, we're staying with linebackers, guys. Stick with linebackers. Uh, but I, I think that we're like I said, we're losing a lot of guys who were hugely productive in college, and that is the that's really where a lot of teams are going to miss out on this. Uh, you know, a lot of hundred plus tackle guys who are going into the draft that I think is going to be the hardest thing to replace is their pure production uh, and their locker room presence because a lot we have a lot of like. I think we have a good amount of seniors in this class that are leaving as well who have played such a long time at their universities too. Uh, all right. Well, look, uh, that, that was a great discussion on linebackers. And we have uh, the, these team these team discussions are, are going to be getting more and more interesting. Obviously, uh, the higher and higher we move up, we got a lot of good players or a lot of good teams coming up in 70 to 61. Uh, Purdue is in here, Ball State, Ohio, Wake Forest, Mississippi State, Texas Tech, Houston, Missouri, Virginia, and Pitt. Some good squads coming up here. So this is going to be a fun show that we're doing tomorrow, and we're all looking forward to it. So uh, remember to follow us all on Twitter, if you would, at Bogman Sports for me, at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E for Xavier, and the owner and proprietor, the big boss man, Nicholas Ian Allen, at CFP Winning Edge for him. And We will see you guys tomorrow. Take it easy, everybody. Thank you to our Patreon supporters for keeping our show ad-free and for funding our wide range of college football analytics projects. Thanks also to Blake Austin for our theme music. To learn more about CFB Winning Edge, visit patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge or follow us on Twitter at CFB Winning Edge.